We're continuing our series this week. This is our third, or excuse me, fourth uh, message on Seed the Vision. Uh, on February the 23rd, we, we want you to know about this because we want you praying about this. I spoke to someone in our church today as they came in today saying that they're praying about how God would have them to give uh, for this Seed Division. It's a capital stewardship campaign. It's something that's going on on all three campuses. Uh, Lindsay Lane, uh, the main campus in Athens, it's going on in Harvest at East, and going on here as well. And so we get an opportunity. Uh, we want to believe our, uh, what our pastor, his vision is for our church, what Pastor Dusty has said, is he believes that God has, is leading us to get into this building with all the renovations and everything that's happened to get into this building debt-free. And so I believe that's a godly goal. Uh, I'm excited about the prospects of that. Uh, and God has already done some incredible, incredible things. And so leading up to February 23rd, that's not this coming Sunday, next Sunday, but the following, we're going to have a special offering. All right, and I want to explain this to you because uh, it's it's important. Uh, we're going to have a special offering, okay? And I don't know about you, but for me, it, giving one time, you can get some money out of me, right? But if I've made this a matter of prayer, uh, what we are going to do is actually in the course of 2020, we're going to have four different offerings each quarter that you guys just pray about what God would have you to give in each of those four quarters. For my wife and I, we've been praying about it, talking about it. You're not going to know what we give, but it's going to be the same amount each week, that each time that we give that we want to give in order to seed what God is doing here at North. And so we want you to do the same, same thing. We want you to be able to budget. We want you to be able to plan for that. And so... The February 23rd will be our first offering. Now, if you want to give it all at one time, that's fine. But I want you to continue to pray about how God would have you to give toward this. And so we've been talking about giving the last three weeks and now into our fourth week. We've been talking about giving, right? And how this is really a hot button topic for a lot of people, right? Don't mess with my money. And we've asked a lot of questions. We're continuing to ask questions about our giving, right? We've understood what, the, what a gift that giving can be, right? And we say things all the time like it's better to give than to receive, right? We say that all the time. That's not just something that you say around Christmas, right? If we truly believe that, that's a biblical model. We get that from Scripture, and so it's better to give than to receive. And so we've learned about that. We've learned about the why of giving. Why is it important? And ultimately, it's our worship. We cannot remove giving from worship. It's why, as long as I'm pastor at North, we are going to have, an, a, 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 after our invitation, we're going to have a time of giving. We're going to have a time for you to give because, it, it, listen, God doesn't need your money, but he gets, you get to partner with him in that. And so as long as we are holding back our finances from God, we are settling for less than surrender. And so even though giving is not our only way to worship, it absolutely is an act of worship. We've talked about our, the how of giving. And when God breaks our heart for things that break his, we begin to look beyond just ourselves. Right? We studied the Corinthians last week and how God uh, used a church that was probably the poorest of Paul's 
All the churches that Paul planted, but he used him mightily to meet the need of the church in Jerusalem. And so today, we, we're going to talk about the what of giving. The what of giving. And so, what is it that God would have us to invest in? What is it that he would have us to do in this area of giving, right? We're making kind of a turn here in this series to a more practical idea, right? What is it that God would have us to invest in? And so if you got your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25, and we're going to begin reading in verse 14. In the context of what's being said here, Jesus is speaking in parables, as he does, Right, And we know that parables were designed to hide the truth from those that were lost, but to reveal the truth to those that were followers of his, those that had the spirit that were followers of his. And so, uh, and so he was speaking in parable, and, and we have in this Olivet Discourse, which I don't know why theologians decide to call it the Olivet Discourse. They could have just said the sermon that Jesus preached on the Mount of Olives. They could have said that, but no, they didn't. They wanted to appear sharp, and so they said the Olivet Discourse, right? But the sermon Jesus preached on the Mount of Olives involves these parables, and they're all about the kingdom of God, what it looks like, what it's going to be like, and he uses the metaphor of parables. And so we find that here. We find other parables before that, that uh, things like the bridesmaids, right? The, the ten bridesmaids that are waiting for the groom, and five of them bring enough oil for the night, and five of them fall asleep, and their, their lights go out. And so the whole purpose that they're there uh, is to wait for the bridegroom's coming. Nobody knows the day or the hour. He talks about those that were in a field, and they're sowing, and one's caught up, and one's left there. Uh, all of these things talk about first, they talk about how we should look for Jesus' coming. Do we live our life looking for Jesus' coming? The, the better way to state that would be, if Jesus came today, what regrets would you have? And so we learn to look for his coming. We learn to love his coming. The bridesmaids, the story of the ten bridesmaids tell us that we are to love the coming of our Messiah but lastly, today, what we're going to talk about is how we need to labor toward Jesus' coming. Giving and investing is something that we are to do because God is coming back. There is a reckoning. There is a judgment coming. And so the first thing we're going to look at is talents entrusted. Talents entrusted. Now, if you notice, we won't have our slides today. We've got some main points, and you're welcome to continue to take notes on the back of that bulletin. We would love for you to do that. Uh, obviously, Will was predisposed, and so we told him that we would make it work for this week. All right, are y'all good with that? I mean, I didn't clear it with everybody, but y'all okay with that? A man's had a baby. We'll cut him some slack. All right, good. So talents entrusted. Look what it says in verse 14. Matthew chapter five, or 25, verse 14. For it will be like a man, the kingdom of heaven, will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them all, of, uh, entrusted to him his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. To each according to his ability, and then he went away. Now, I have studied and looked and poured over commentary to figure out what a talent was. We know that it was an, a measure of money. 
You can hear anything when you read in commentary. You can hear anything from it was a thousand dollars to it was twenty years worth of wages uh, to an endowment of some sort. I, I'm 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 inclined to believe that when we talk about talents, we're talking about an indefinite amount of money, that definitely there was a dollar amount, but we don't really know what it was. And we can spend, I spent significant time looking for this, and as I was reading and as God was showing me and and studying, we can make it all about the amount, right? All about how much money was entrusted to these guys, how much were they actually given, it was endowed to them, but we don't really know. All right. The long and the short of it is we don't know. We've got some guesses, but we don't know. But this is why this is important. We can make this whole text, this whole parable about the amount of money that each servant was given. But that is not the point of this text. So I spent all this time thinking about it. And then as God was revealing this text, this, this text to me, I thought... Well, why do I even study that, right? Because it doesn't matter. Ultimately, it doesn't matter. As we read this passage, we're tempted to get hung up on the amounts, right, that each servant was given. Well, what did the guy do in order to get five talents? How did he get five of them? How did he get literally five times the amount of the last servant? We don't know. We're not told that. But he was given five talents. The second one, what, what did he do? I mean, obviously he was, you know, somewhere in between the two, right? Given two talents. And then, and then the one with one talent. Like, what kind of doghouse did he have to be? And if we're not careful, we'll think about all this. And we're like, man, well, well why was this guy better than this guy? And how, what about this amount? And, and how were these guys feeling about the different amount? Were they there when they saw the amount given to the other person? Like, here's five, here's two, here's one. Like, Darn, like, you know, like, we we can make the whole text about this amount. But we miss the point of the text. We're going to have three stewardship truths today. Um, And the first thing I want us to look at, verse 14 tells us that this man entrusted his servants with his property. And so stewardship truth number one is things entrusted are not things owned. Things that have been entrusted are not things that are owned. Now, we can spend all day wondering about the amounts and what they did to deserve it, but at the end of the day, the master was not giving any of his stuff to these servants long term. This was entrusted to him. These were things that were given to them to have for a period of time with the expectation that the master would return. And when God entrusts you with something, we need to understand that one day we will give account for what has been entrusted to us. So things entrusted are not things owned. You and I both know that you don't own everything that you have. Right? As an adult, I learned that. Right? I always thought as a kid, if my mom and dad had a checkbook, they had money. Right? If they had the little plastic, they had money. Right? And then I realized growing up, man, adulting is hard. I realized, well, I don't own much of anything. My house is owned by the bank. Right? So if I default on that, they get it back. All that money gone. Right? If my, my cars aren't owned by me, they're owned by the bank. Right? There's very little that we really own in life. Right? And as an adult, I remember coming to that conclusion like, Dad gum. Like, this is depressing. You know, if I don't make it 30 years, they're going to take my house. You know, like, that's a, that's a problem. And, and I remember thinking about, thinking through that, uh, you know, as an adult, but it, 
But why? It's because we've been entrusted. We don't own everything that we have. And we're okay with a bank loaning us money so that we can have a house. We're okay with somebody loaning us money to have a car or whatever else, a boat or whatever else we decide to have. For those of you that aren't Dave Ramsey fans, like, you know, we can rack that bill on up, right? We're okay with that. But as soon as we begin to say that God has given us everything that we have and he is expecting us to give an account of it, we begin to balk. Everything that has been given to me, and this this goes so far beyond money. You know, it was easy when I was alone in college to surrender things to the Lord. It was just me, right? And so I could give up some money here and there, right? I could could take on a world vision child, Jamini Waua Katingu. I could take her on, and it wasn't no big deal because I, I didn't make much money, but I wasn't spending any money, right? And so I could do that. Right? I had margins in my life. Some of you college folks, let me just tell you, the most margin you'll have in your life is when you're in college. And that, if that's depressing, so be it. Right? Adulting is hard. Right? But I mean, I had margins in my life, and it was okay because it only affected me. Man, the amazing... I lived on very little food when I was in college. Why? Because it was just me. But as I began to be blessed... Because that's what it is. My wife was a blessing. Our home was a blessing. Our pets are a blessing. Our kids then that came along were a blessing, right? Our vehicles were a blessing. The more that God began to add to me, the harder surrender and stewardship became, right? And so for everything that was added, more was expected from me. And so we got to understand that things entrusted are not things owned. These servants weren't going, hey, I've got a fortune here. Well, well I've, all I've got is this one talent, right? They weren't doing that because they realized it wasn't theirs to begin with. When we recognize that everything we have is not our own, it will free us up spiritually. That we, even, even this body, right? Because that's, 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 that's this world, right? That you, you know, you are who you are, right? And, and, and it's all about you. And you need to have ownership of your own body. And you're in charge of your own body. Not according to Scripture. My own body was given up in order to, for me to receive what God had for me. I'm not my own anymore. So it's not about what I think is right for me even more. Even, at, even myself, do you not know that your body is a temple of the living God? And so things entrusted are not things that are owned. And so in our stewardship, we need to understand that everything we have been given is from God. We say that, but do we understand the ramifications of that? Do we understand what that means in our life? Is it something we, or is it something that we pay lip service to and we don't really apply it to the rest of our life? Everything we have is God's. I don't want my kids, truthfully, I love my kids and I want to be close to my kids. I don't want my kid, God to send my kids off as foreign missionaries somewhere far off. I want them close to me. But it ain't my call. Because I've been entrusted with these kids. My job is to grow them. My job is to mature them. And then allow God to lead them where he will. I've been entrusted with these kids. They're not mine. Just because I gave, my wife gave birth to them. And as, yeah. 
What? That, that is... Just because we had them as, as parents, right, does not mean they're ours, right? In a world that tells you everything is yours and grab and get and get and get and mine and mine and mine. If you're a child of God in here, there's nothing that you have that's yours. Because anything that you could attain on your own isn't really worth having. And so we see these talents entrusted. Number two, let's look at talents expended. Talents expended. Look at verse 16. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them. And he found, and he made five more talents. So also he who had the talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and he dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Why did he settle accounts? Because he wasn't giving them those things. He was entrusting them. This is, this is the key to stewardship. He was entrusting them. As a steward, this money is not mine. If I was an investor on Wall Street, the money is not mine. The money is someone else's. I'm just figuring out how to manage it the best way I know how. And that is what everything that we've been given. And so we've, they've been entrusted and then we see how they're spent. We see from the first two servants' investment that they desired to invest in what pleased the master, right? They wanted to make the master more money. They wanted to invest it. They wanted to grow the capital of the master. They didn't have to. Obviously, we see from the third servant that they didn't, that he didn't. They didn't have to, but they wanted to please the master. But when we look at the final servant, we're almost inclined to believe, because us and our Western civilization lenses that we look through, we're almost too inclined to believe that what he did was okay. Right? I mean, think about it. Investing, that's risky business, isn't it? I mean, he was only given one talent. What happens when that talent, when the market turns south and town, the talent gets sucked away and all of a sudden now he doesn't have anything? At least when he buried his money in the ground, at least he knew that he would give the talent back to his master. But again, we're thinking about this as in, in our own context, in the context that this was given, what this man did was being entrusted with something that return was expected from. Instead, he did nothing. And so rather than saying, oh, well, he just eliminated the risk, understand this. What investor would you go to that you invest your money in and he at the end of the day says, hey, after 30 or 40 years, says, hey, your 401k plan, man, we have exactly what you invested. And that's it. Right? They ain't making much money. Right? They, not, people aren't, aren't flocking to those types of people. Why? Because we expect money that's entrusted to receive a return from them. This servant, even though we're inclined to say, man... Okay, I see what he's doing there. He didn't get much and he just wanted, he wanted to hold on to what he had. In reality, for the, what pur the purposes of what Jesus is teaching, we should understand it like this. The third servant did nothing with what, with what was entrusted to him. He did nothing with it. 
God has given everyone in this room an incredible blessing. Blessings upon blessings. Listen, even if you're outside of a relationship with Christ, the fact that you're here in order to hear the gospel of Christ is a blessing. God is a God who blesses his people. And so we've received blessing on top of blessing. Who are we to do nothing with what God has given us? So stewardship truth number two. What is given by the master is meant to be invested for the master. What is given by the master is meant to be invested for the master. Listen, if God owns everything, if God owns everything that we have, how we invest it in the things that matter to him determine our gratitude to him. Are you an, a faithful reinvestor of what has been invested to you? How are you using your talent? And listen, I don't care if you've been given five talents or you feel like you've been given five talents or you feel like you've been given one talent. The, the, the principle is the same. Listen, there's people that have a little and there's people that have a lot. This is reality, right? And that also can be driven from this text, right? It's a reality. It's not all the same and it's not all equal, but whatever you've been given you've been entrusted with to invest for the purposes of the master. The what of our giving? What are we to do? What are we to be invested in? We are to be invested in things that matter to the master. Not in things that matter to us. Not in things that we desire and we want in our sinfulness. Number three, talents evaluated. The master comes back. Listen to what it says in verse 20. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I've made five more. Listen to the response of the master. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master." And he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me my two talents. Here I have made two more talents. Again, he made four talents. The guy that had five had ten, but none of it was his. It was all given back to the master, right? The one that had two made four, but it didn't matter to him because he was investing it to the master. Ultimately, it was for him. And then the one who received one. And he who received one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man. That's important. Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have, you have, have you, here you have, here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received that was what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. Right? Harsh. Harsh. 
Because you did nothing with what I was given to you, what you have is taken away. I'm taking that away, and I'm giving it to the one that proved that he could be trusted with more. Because you see, the first two servants sought to please the master. But when we look at how the last servant responded to the master, he wasn't looking to please him. He wasn't looking to get in his good graces and serve at his good will. All he was looking to do was to appease the master. Not to please him. Not to give him blessing because of the blessing that he had entrusted to them. No, because he knew him to be a hard man. The word there literally is the same word for desert in the, in the, uh, the Greek. That literally to be a hard, dry, crusty man. And why did, what was his proof to that? He said, you've sown, you've, you've gained profit where you haven't sown. Well, who, who sowed the seed for the master? The servants, right? And so the man, the last servant, looked at the master and said, man, I've never seen you sowing seed here. I'm the one that's doing all the work. I'm the one that's that's making all the, the action happen. I'm the one that's, uh, that's doing everything. I'm sowing, I'm reaping, and you're getting the benefit. And he resented the master because of that. In reality, we know the master was not a hard man. Yes, it's true. He, inv- he invested and he sowed. He reaped where he did not sow, where he did not scatter. But the man, the the third servant, looked at him and said the only thing that he could think in his mind, because, again, the two servants were focused on pleasing the master. The last servant was only focused on himself. I know how hard I've worked in order to see you make profit. And the only way I can justify that in my head, because I determine what's truth for me, is that you're a hard man. Because you don't do the work and you still get the benefit. And all along, he missed the fact that the master didn't have to give him a thing. The master didn't have to give him anything. You will struggle your entire life attempting to appease God. In fact... A relationship with God begins with recognizing that you can appease Him. There is nothing that you could do. There is no amount of money you could give. There is no amount of good deed that you could do that would ever appease God. It's not possible. Why? Because you're still a sinner. It's not that your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds. It's that you have bad deeds to begin with. And because of that... There is no appeasing a holy God. The standard is too high. You will struggle your entire life. If you have the view of God, as this last servant did, that he is just a cosmic killjoy that expects all of these things. I I I don't just have to go to church. Now you're telling me I have to give to a church? And now you're telling me that I can't just go to church and be okay? Now I've got to share Jesus with people? Now I've got to go to a small group? Listen, if you have the view of, of God that he is a hard man, you will struggle your whole life to appease him. Or you can take the posture of the first two servants and recognize 
that you can please him today. You can please him today. The stewardship truth is this. Godly investment results in joy. Hoarding what you have leads only to wanting more. The man hid what he had. He hid his talent. He felt like he wasn't given much because the guy's a hard man. How dare he not trust him with a lot? Because he's a hard man, I'm going to just do what I can to get by, and I'm going to appease him. I'm gonna, he gave me a talent. I'm giving a talent back. He missed it. He missed the entire nature of his master. He could have entrusted that money, that talent to anybody, but he entrusted it to him. And we do the same thing. I'm going to pretend that this piece of paper, specifically the four corners of this piece of paper, are what God, the talents that God has given us. For the purpose of this illustration, we've been given four. Okay? So we're somewhere in between. We ain't five, but we're doing okay. All right? We've got our four talents, our four corners here, right? That God's given to us. And we have a choice. We can hoard it, we can hide it in a field, right? And we can dig it up when he comes back. God, here's all the things that you gave me. Here you go. But if we will be willing to reinvest what God has given us, we'll see an amazing thing happen. How many corners are on this sheet of paper? Four. Someone say five back there. I didn't say. Okay. All right, good, good. There's four. There's four. But when God requires for us to invest in what's important to him, I mean, we're giving our talent to him. We're giving it to him. It's something that you've given me, but I'm reinvesting it in something that's important to you for your cause, for your purpose. We give God a talent. You know what's amazing? He replaces it with two. Now we don't have a four-corner sheet of paper. We have five. So, as God continues to bless, we have more. God, we're going to give you another corner. We're going to invest another corner in your life. Listen, we've given two corners to God. We've given two of them, right? And we look at our sheet, and all of a sudden now we don't have... We have a price tag. Uh, All of a sudden now, we don't have four corners. We don't have five corners. Now God's given us six. And as we continue to give, eventually... God desires us to give all that we have. All four corners, baby. All of them. Jesus, Jesus has all four corners. But we look back at our life and we realize he's replaced it with eight. This is the goodness of God. We can hoard it and we can hog it to ourselves, but it's only going to lead us to wanting more. Why did the man have a poor view of the master? Because he was focused on himself. How dare you give me one? When in return he could have actually made two. And then he's in the same boat that the other servant is. Listen listen to this. uh, Talents explained, right? At the end of it, we have the end. And this this is how they explain it. This is so good. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. For to everyone who will, who has more will be given. And he 
and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness in the place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Stewardship truth number four. Stewardship is a process. Stewardship is a process. We don't know how many times this master left. We know obviously he had plenty of talents because he would tell the, he tell, told the servants, you've been faithful with a little, I'll give you a lot. So apparently even five talents was a little to the master. Right? He's got money for days. That ain't the problem. But he entrusted five. The, the, the righteous servant, the, the wise servant made five more. Now there's ten. Enter into the joy of the master. What happens when he leaves again? We don't know. Does he give that guy ten? Let's start you off there and see how you do. Right? God continues to bless. Listen, but the one that had one, if he had reinvested it, if he had made another one, he would then been given what the other servant had. He'd have been given two. Had the master left and come back and he'd been faithful with the two, he could have made four. And if the one could have, could have had four, could have had eight. Listen, stewardship is a process. Do you know what the foolish servant did? In all of his hate of the master, he proved the master right. You only gave me one. How dare you? Even what you have will be taken away. He proved that he was unfaithful with even one. Why did he not receive five? Because the master knew. The master knew, and in his pride, and in his hatred, and in his disdain for the master, he proved the master right. Giving is about focusing on what is important to the one who owns it all. And in reinvesting in what's important to him. Or we can focus inward and we can look around at what everybody else has and say, God, how dare you not give me what this person has? How dare you not provide the life for me that this one has? And we can create such a bitterness in our heart toward God that it ultimately ends in our destruction. Or we can recognize that everything is from him. And we can reinvest. We can give ourselves wholly to his purposes and experience joy. We can experience his joy. That's where a relationship with Christ begins. God, I can't do this on my own. I need you. You've given me everything that I have. All I can think to do is give it back to you. And then there's a process, right? You have a certain amount to give him. You, you can surrender what you have. But as he continues to bless, you're going to surrender more and more and more and more. And you're going to realize that he's more than enough to meet every one of those needs over and over and over and over again. You can't outgive God. You can't do it. Not because he's a hard man. 
Not because he's a hard master that wants to put you under constant strain, but because he wants you to experience true and lasting joy. And he knows that it can't come from you. It's got to come from him. And so with every head bow and heart, every head bow and eye closed in this room, if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I want you to know the first investment that you need to make, if we're talking about the what of giving, the first thing that you can give over to God is everything that you have. <laughs> Darn, that's a lot. It sure is. But I promise you, what you get in return is more. He offers a relationship with you. You can try your whole life to appease God. You can try your whole life to try to make Him happy so that He won't ask you to do anything else. But He, you, He cannot be pleased until you've surrendered all to Him. And you're going to find, man, He's not a hard man. He is a man that deserves my all. He is, he is a God that deserves everything I have. I can't be trusted with everything I have, but he can. And so if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, the invitation is this. I would ask you to trust everything that you have to all that he is. Scripture tells us the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What you've toiled and what you've worked for in this life, what that earned you is death. It's earned you separation from God forever. But the free gift, the endowment, the entrustment that he is offering to you, the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus our Lord. You can receive Jesus today as your Lord and Savior. Exchange everything that you have for all that he is. And watch how he continues to grow and mature you. Right? This is the starting line. We're just trying to get you out of the blocks here. That you can begin a relationship with Christ that will continue for the rest of your life. It can begin today. Quit trying to appease God and please him today. Give all that you have to him because he is worthy of it. So if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Christ, in this time of invitation, you have an opportunity to respond. There are counselors that are in the back left, my left hand, your right hand side of the room that would love to talk to you about how you can know that you have a relationship with Jesus. And listen, you don't have to wait for any magic word. You don't have to wait for amen right now. Nobody's looking around. This is safe. Nobody looking around. If you need a relationship with Jesus, there's counselors that would love to talk to you. You can get up right where you are and you can respond to the grace and the gospel of Jesus. If you need a relationship with Jesus Christ, would you stand to your feet and would you just head out to the back left hand, my left hand, your right hand side of the room and just share with the counselor that you'll find there that I need a relationship with Jesus. I want to please God with my life. If that's you, would you respond? Is there anyone in the room? I, have, I need a relationship with Jesus. I want to start today investing in things that really matter. I want to invest my heart in Him. You can get up right where you are. Nobody's looking around. If you need someone to go with you, tap somebody on the shoulder. Say, will you go with me? Man, we'll rejoice with you. We promise. 
We're not going to laugh at you. We're not going to point fingers. This isn't a giant game of bait and switch. If you want a relationship with Jesus, you can have it today if you respond to him. But maybe you're in here and maybe, maybe surrender looks different for you. Maybe you know that you have a relationship with Jesus. But you have settled for less than surrender. You're not investing in things that make an eternal difference. You're not investing in things that are important to God. Maybe you need to respond in obedience today. Maybe you need to quit searching. Maybe you found your church home. And maybe you just need to invest here where you can find accountability, where you can be encouraged toward Jesus in everything that you do individually and as a family. If you need to join our church today, you have an opportunity to do that. I'm here at the front. Would love to receive you. Or you can slip right out to our counselors that are in the back. And they can talk to you as well. However you want to respond, you can do that. If you need to get a baptism in order, maybe you've received Christ, but you've never uh, followed through a believer's baptism, you can do that as well. You can make that decision today. Whatever it is, maybe you need to rededicate your life. Whatever it is that the Spirit is leading you to do, I pray that you respond in this time of invitation. Father, have your will and way in this place. God, we love you. You are worthy of our all. Let us give you no less in these next few moments. Give boldness to those that need to respond to you. Give boldness to one that doesn't have a relationship with you. And the enemy is just on them to not move, to, to stay where they're sitting. God, give them boldness to step out, to share with somebody about how they need that relationship with you. But God, be in this place. Be glorified in everything that's done and said in these next few moments. Jesus' holy name we pray.